From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Well, coming up, the long incoming meeting about the debt ceiling between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy began about an hour ago. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre earlier today suggested nothing has changed about the president's refusal to negotiate. It's very simple. The exit ramp for them is to do their job, is to do their job. The president will make that very clear in his meeting, not going to get ahead of what's going to come out of that meeting. But the president has been really, really clear here. Hmm. Their job, uh, their job is to rubber stamp the administration's uncontrolled spending. You know, I, I must have missed that article in the Constitution. We're going to talk about it with Georgia Congressman Andrew Clyde in just a moment. Also, the American Civil Liberties Union has filed a lawsuit earlier today attempting to overturn Montana's new law banning the experimental use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries for minors. We're going to get the details on the lawsuit from Montana Attorney General uh, Alston Knutson, who will defend the law in court. And down on the southern border, with the Title 42 COVID restrictions set to be lifted on Thursday, officials are bracing for a surge of the surge. Even Democrat leaders are complaining about the Biden administration's failure to secure the border. Without much more robust action from the federal government, the current situation will only get worse. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. That was Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, a Democrat. The Title 42 restrictions put in place by the Trump administration back in March of 2020 have allowed border agents to uh, rapidly expel illegal immigrants to Mexico. But now with the Biden administration lifting those restrictions, game changes. We're going to get the latest from the border and what local law enforcement is preparing for when we're joined by Sheriff Mark Van Els, who is uh, at Cochise County. Arizona. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And finally, the AP reported uh, earlier today about a meeting I had yesterday with former President Donald Trump. I was joined in the meeting by Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and the president of Susan B. Anthony, Marjorie Dannenfelser. Now, the purpose and the outcome of the meeting? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So uh, be sure and tune in when FRC Action's Brent Kylan joins me later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Daniel chapter 4, verses 17 and 27. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. You see, God will not have rivals. Nebuchadnezzar's pride would bring him low. See, pride is the door through which much of man's vexations walk. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But Daniel here lays out the remedy or the preventative to the king to ward off the pending judgment in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Very simple. Walk humbly before God. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to TonyPerkins.com. 
Well, just about an hour ago, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy sat down with President Biden for their highly anticipated discussion over the debt ceiling. Now, this is their first substantial talk since February, though the meeting comes just a few weeks before the U.S. could default on its debt. The White House insists it was merely a conversation and not first steps in negotiating a reasonable budget. Well, Republicans remain united on the urgency of decreasing our debt, which means we've got to slow down the spending. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Andrew Clyde. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents Georgia's 9th Congressional District. Congressman Clyde, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Tony. It's great to be with you this afternoon. I'm sure we're all anticipating the results from the meeting, but going into it, you heard the clip earlier. Uh, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre suggests the president not open to negotiation. Well, you know, the press secretary said that we need to do our job. We are doing our job, and we did our job. We passed the Limit, Save, Grow Act, I think, which was the responsible way to address the debt ceiling. If you look at it, we, um, uh, we cut government spending, which is what you have to do to bring us back to order path of a balanced budget. I mean, if you look at this Limit, Save, Grow Act, what Kevin McCarthy, what Speaker McCarthy is, is speaking to the president about, I mean, it cuts uh, spending on, on the IRS, which is so important to the American people. It claws back the uh, COVID, the unspent COVID money, uh, which is no longer needed. Uh, it el- eliminates the transfer of um, student loan debt from those who, um, who borrowed it to those who didn't borrow it and now have to pay for it. That's $465 billion. And then it eliminates the Green New Deal tax credits at $271 billion. Those are immediate cuts to federal spending, which is absolutely uh, required for us to be fiscally responsible. And President uh, Biden needs to just acknowledge that. He needs to negotiate with with uh, Speaker McCarthy. In fact, he needs to accept the only plan uh, in Washington, D.C. now to address the debt ceiling, is which is the Republican plan. And the Senate needs to get on board as well. Both of them need to say, this is the right plan, and, and let's go for it, and let's, uh, let's show that the United States is fiscally responsible. Well, you have Republican senators. I think you have 43 Republican senators that are on board with the House Republicans saying, uh, look, we're, we're not going anywhere until the president deals with the demands of the Republicans to slow down the spending. Oh, and the senators are right to sign on to that letter saying they are not going to vote for cloture for a clean or what I call a blind debt ceiling increase because that leads us down the path uh, of, of irresponsibility. Uh, and the senators, uh, I applaud their efforts. I thank Mike Lee for leading it. And I thank uh, Senator Mitch McConnell for getting on board. And, and all of them need to, um, uh, need to get behind this plan that Speaker McCarthy has laid out. Uh, we Republicans are united in the House in this effort, and uh, this is what needs to. This is the right thing for the for the for America. Uh, Congressman Klein, I want to play uh, another clip from the House uh, from the the White House press secretary, Karine Jean Pierre, earlier today. Play clip number one, please. It's not rational. It's not rational. Rational. It's not reasonable, and it's not practical for Congress to do to be doing what they're doing. For House Republicans to be holding us up, for threatening default. That is where the problem should be. 
and that's who should be called out. Not quite sure what she's saying, but um, who's not being rational and who's not being reasonable here? As you said, the Republicans put forward a plan. What has the president put forward? The, the president has put forward nothing. He wants to continue the unaccountable spending of the federal government, which has caused 40-year high inflation. Republicans have the plan. We've presented the plan. And I don't think the press secretary knows what she's talking about. Uh, and we have done our job. And they need to accept that. And they need to sign on to it and support it. That's the responsible thing to do. So let me ask you this, uh, Congressman Clyde. Let's say that she's uh, she's speaking. What's going to happen? And we don't know yet. Uh, I haven't seen the speaker come out of the meeting yet. But if the president refuses to negotiate, if there's any default on the debt, I mean that's squarely in, in the hands of the president because he's the one that refuse is refusing to negotiate in good faith and move us forward. And that is exactly the correct. Uh, situation. Uh, you see it. The president has the responsibility now. He's the one that's going to sign this. And it's on his shoulders. It's his responsibility. We in the House have pro have provided, have created and provided a responsible plan to address the debt ceiling. And President Biden wants to go the irresponsible way and simply uh, uh, cut a new credit card and extend the limit uh, to basically limitless. And that's not responsible governance. And that's what we're here to do. Uh, this is a new day, I think, for Republicans. And I know you're relatively new to Congress. I, I've been watching this process for 20 years. It's the first time I've seen the Republicans so united. Uh, look, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to the House Republicans, although I could throw in the Senate Republicans, given the letter that they wrote in support. I don't, my impression is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Congressman, but I don't see the Republicans backing down from this. Oh, we're not going to back down from this. I think Speaker McCarthy is going to hold the line here. He should hold the line. Uh, we created a fantastic plan. You know, the Limit, Save, Grow plan, it limits federal spending um, to FY22 levels and with no more than a 1% increase over the next 10 years. That will save four and a half trillion dollars um, to our, our deficit, or to our debt rather. And then you have the save part of it with the, what I mentioned a little earlier. And then the grow part is to grow the economy through adding work requirements to welfare recipients and the RAINS Act, uh, which will rein in um, the uh, presidential decrees, the executive orders that spend outside Congress. And then you have uh, energy independence part of it, HR1. This is all excellent legislation that uh, that needs to be um, that needs to be accepted and embraced by both uh, the White House and the Senate. Uh, Congressman, you're on the House Appropriations Committee. You know, the, the, the Biden administration saying, look, we're, we're up against this uh, debt ceiling list, uh, 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 the debt ceiling limit. We could be there in three weeks. So how long can this stalemate exist? Oh, I think they're going to try and push it to the very end, but they don't have to. They could do the right thing for the American people and come to an agreement this very week, and uh, the Senate could pass it. We know there's not going to be a, a blind debt ceiling increase. That's not going to go through the Senate. It's not going to go through the House. So the president just has to understand uh, that, that he needs to negotiate with 
Speaker McCarthy. I mean, President Biden is an entire lifetime in government has been about negotiation. And to say that he's unwilling to negotiate is simply an untenable uh, position for him to hold. I don't think the American people uh, see that as being responsible either. Well, so, um, Congressman Clyde, historically, though, from my perspective, what I've seen when, when the Democrats want negotiations, historically, it's been that the Republicans capitulate and they give in. Uh, it's always, almost always the Republicans waving a white flag and surrendering. But again, I say this time what I'm seeing in this Congress with this Republican majority in the House, it's different. And, uh, and I don't think the president and the Democratic Party know how to deal with it. Well, I think we can go back to the speaker's fight here, uh, where we achieved transformational change in the way Congress operates. That united the Republican conference more than anything I have ever seen. And like I told Speaker McCarthy at the end of his acceptance speech, I said, this shows that we as Republicans can fight in a united fashion. And this should terrify the White House. It should terrify uh, the Senate, because we have the purse, we have the checkbook, and we are united in this right. effort. Uh, you are 100 percent correct. That is the way I see it uh, as well. Congressman Andrew Clyde, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. Folks, it, it is a new day. It, it really is. It's, uh, it, it re, it, it's going to result in a little more conflict. But I think at the end, just as I as I said, when the whole speaker debate was going down, it was going to be good, and it has been. We just need to be praying that the outcome here is good and we can get this nation back on the right track. All right, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the Attorney General of Montana as the ACLU is taking them to court. We'll talk about it next. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace the their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. All right, uh, just about 10 minutes ago, while we were in that last segment talking to uh, Congressman Clyde, uh, the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, came out of his meeting with uh, President Biden, and this is what he had to say. Everybody in this meeting reiterated the positions they were at. I didn't see any new movement. The president said the staff should get back together. But I was very clear with the president. We have now just two weeks to go. All right. There you have it. Uh, The president uh, not moving. Well, he's going to have to. We'll uh, we'll keep tracking the tracking the developments here as we talk with uh, members and staff who are involved in the negotiations. All right, I've discussed on this program uh, recently that the state of Montana passed a law. One of about a dozen states, actually a few more than a dozen states, I think about 13, have uh, passed laws to protect children from experimental gender treatments. Now, this includes puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and mutilating surgeries. Now it, it, it's uh, It's an encouraging trend to see state lawmakers boldly taking steps to protect children against the cultural tides. It was also interesting yesterday in the Washington Post, a a poll that they conducted that shows that the vast majority of Americans do not agree with what is taking place with this push for transgendering children. And so these lawmakers, they know they know where the people are. Well, earlier today, the American Civil Liberties Union filed a lawsuit attempting to overturn the law in Montana. Well, joining me now to discuss this is the Montana Attorney General, Austin Knudsen, who plans to defend the state law in court. Attorney General Knudsen, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. So uh, this is you, you, Montana's not alone in this. You've got, uh, you know, as I said, about a dozen states that have passed laws like this. Are you surprised that the ACLU has chosen Montana to challenge? Not surprised at all. Uh, you know, the ACLU has had a dismal track record lobbying up at the Montana legislature this session. Uh, it was kind of the butt of our jokes here in our office that if the ACLU came in against our DOJ legislation, we were probably going to ga- gain five or six more votes. Uh, but look, we've got a very liberal judiciary in Montana. The, ACL, the ACLU knows this. They no longer control the, the, the executive branches. They no longer control the legislative branches. So they know they've got a very liberal judiciary. Uh, they're hoping they can run to their friends on the court here in Montana uh, and, and get the, the will of the legislature overturned here. 
But as I mentioned, uh, a poll just released yesterday, a survey of the American people, 68% of Americans oppose puberty-blocking medication in children ages 10 to 14. 58% oppose hormonal treatments for uh, teens, 15 to 17. You know, the, the Montanans overwhelmingly support protecting children as well, which was evidenced by the legislature. So, I mean, they think they're going to get their friends on the court to basically trample upon the will of the people? That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what you and I call common sense, right? I mean, when, when 70% of, of Americans agree with what most of us consider a, a, a barbaric practice is exactly that, barbaric, then that's, that's grounds for the legislature to step in. I mean, we, there's a compelling state interest here. That's narrowly tailored, and I'm, I'm using legal language because that's what we'll have to do here. We'll, we'll have to step in and show that there's a compelling state interest here in regulating this kind of medical procedure. I think we can clearly do that. The state legislature obviously has an interest in protecting young, non-able-to-consent minors right. from this kind of barbaric surgery. Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are exceptions built into this law, of course, but for the most part, uh, this this is banning exactly the kind of activity that has gotten a lot of attention, and that uh, we, as I said, I think there's a, there's a compelling state interest to do, and 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 Montanans recognize that, as do all Americans. So, so General Knutson, um, I know that the the suit was just filed today, but what's the general basis of the ACLU's uh, approach here? What what are they claiming the state does not have the right to do? Well, it, it's an interesting lawsuit. I, I haven't gone through it with a fine tooth comb, but I did have time to go through it. It's it's a it's a sixty plus page complaint, uh, full of a lot of hyperbole, full of a lot of uh, you know, slandering of of legislators, uh, which is not surprising given given the ACLU. But look, boiled right down, they're making an equal protection claim uh, under the Montana Constitution. They're making a right to privacy claim, which is interesting because they're trying to shoestrap onto our state's abortion Supreme Court ruling. That's the Armstrong case. Uh, it's, it was a very poorly written, uh, very controversial Supreme Court ruling that came up in our state in 1999, where basically one justice wrote into an opinion the, the right to privacy guaranteeing the right to an abortion in Montana extremely controversial. Uh, but what's interesting about the, the arguments the ACLU is making here is they seem to be relying very heavily on that case to argue that that, that, that quote-unquote right to an abortion through privacy also would apply to your, your, this, this non-existent right to undergo these kinds of radical surgeries. Uh, there's that. The other one I think is really interesting is they're making a freedom of speech claim here, uh, and I, I'm not sure what parents being able to consent to mutilating their children has to do with their freedom of expression. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one to have the ACLU lawyers explain to us in court here in Missoula when, when we get there. Uh, but that that's kind of the case boiled down and, and, and distilled. I mean, there, there's uh, – and I'm not – uh, extremely familiar with Montana's laws, as it, but I, I am with my home state of Louisiana, where I served in the legislature, where there's all kinds of restrictions on what you can do under the age of 18. You can't, uh, you, you know, under 16, you can't drive. Uh, you have, you know, some states absolutely re, re, uh, 
say you can't get a tattoo, um, you know, you've got to get parental rights for certain, or parental permission for certain things. So, I mean, it, it, this is something that's irreversible. It would, this is just common sense to me. I, again, there's that term. Uh, it's, it's, it's a term that most of us understand. I, I, I agree with you. It is common sense. But it's one that apparently ACLU and, and a handful of these radical medical providers here in Montana just can't get their head around uh, and want to just keep shoehorning this down all of our throats. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's barbaric. Yeah. There's, there's just not a better term for it. But, but yeah. you're exactly right. I mean, my, my teenage kids can't get an aspirin from their school without my consent yeah but but we want to create this this environment where they can suddenly feel that because their body is changing right. that they can go that they should be able and, to go in and undergo a radical non-reversible right, right. that's the key that general whatever aclu says we're gonna I mean, that, general we're gonna leave it there we're, we're out of time but we're gonna track this closely folks stick with us we're back after the break men are constantly told that there's no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources there for you. All right, with Title 42 set to expire Thursday night, the surge of illegal migrants to our southern border has already begun. Now, this is a surge on top of a surge. The White House said yesterday that President Joe Biden would veto a possible uh, House GOP bill that limits asylum while building up the border wall a solution to what's happening at our southern border. But while the political battle plays out in Washington, what is the situation on the ground at the border? What's happening for those that are there, law enforcement, border patrol, and residents? Well, join me now to discuss this and more is Sheriff Mark 
Daniels. He is the uh, the sheriff of Cochise County in Arizona. Sheriff, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony, and thanks for having me. So tell us uh, what you're currently experiencing there on the uh, the border in Arizona. Well, Tony, for I mean, it makes more sense if I go back about two years uh, where I was bragging, probably about three years ago, I was bragging we were one of the safest borders uh, in Cochise County, all the proactive things we've done, the measures, uh, programs, as we sit two years, three years later, this is uh, leads the nation in gotaways. These are people that don't want to be caught. 16 to uh, 20,000 a month come through the Tucson sector, sector, which includes my county. And now we're on the, the verge of Title 42 going away in two days. That's opened up. Uh, when you say the surge is here, it's definitely here. We're releasing 400 a day in my community. That's a huge impact. I just got off the phone here just a few minutes ago about trying to get buses to get them out of here. Uh, they've already been processed by Border Patrol. They just, it's catch and release, catch and release, along with the fight and flight stuff. So it's it's a challenge right now on the backs of all these rural communities. Well, let me just ask you about the sheriff, because I, I, I worked at the sheriff's office and, and uh, back when I was in Louisiana, my home state. You, you have the duty of protecting the residents, enforcing the local law. How is this impacting your ability to to take care of business there in your county, having to deal with this issue on the border? Well, it's a real challenge. I was on a call uh, Sunday, well, my guys for a couple hours, where, I mean, domestics, normal calls, suicide in progress. We were on a suicide in progress, and agencies are calling for backup because they're in a pursuit with a smuggler. They bail out. They're running through the neighborhoods. So 40 to 45 percent of all the people in my jail right now are border related crimes. That was 1,600 people almost last year in 2022 for border related crimes. So you can imagine the impact when you're dealing with border related issues and crimes throughout your day when your your proactive stuff, reactive stuff is also going on. So it's a right. huge pressure tank. And I have zero truly besides border patrol. I have zero financial support from the federal government. So let, let me, what, what percentage of your calls that uh, your deputies are getting are related to border issues? Well, you look at just the border bookings in our jail, it's 40 to 45, 45%. Before this administration took over, I'm not being mean, was about 5 to 10%. So that's what it breaks down. Usually for call load is consistent, very relative, very right. consistent. That's but no that longer the case anymore. That's a pretty drastic increase. Now, I was not on the border in Arizona. I've been to the border uh, at Texas, a couple different locations in Texas. During the Trump administration, after the Remain in Mexico policy was put in place, I, I went before that and after that. And after, it was like a ghost town. Nobody was coming across. It looked like they had stemmed the flow coming across the border. Uh, this is a, if that's what you're experiencing now, what are you anticipating after Title 42 is lifted on Thursday? Well, that's the unknown. I mean, we've seen, I just sat through a meeting two days ago uh, with sheriffs and what they're seeing based on their local border patrol and our local border patrol. I mean, there's, we, there's over 600,000 uh, folks in Mexico right now that are waiting to come across from countries other than Mexico itself. Mexico, there's about a quarter of a million people waiting to come across. I mean, this whole thing is just so tilted, Tony. We have gone away from border security, securing this border, to 
how many can we get through? How can we expedite that to make that better and it, more enhance that instead of securing the country? And and that only increases the flow when people know that you're just trying to facilitate them coming across the border. That just that's like a magnet. It attracts more. You're right on that, Tony. And I've been saying that for two years. And the fact that until we t- change the message from President Biden in Washington, D.C. and Congress and say the border is no longer secured and we have to have consequences for coming across illegally, they're going to keep coming. And this right. is a new normal on our border. Yeah, it's not just saying it's closed, which the, the Biden administration has now started to say. You have to actually make it closed and have consequences, as you just said, for crossing the border illegally. And you're exactly right. And we've been saying that because we're seeing it. And let me just say right now, because the infrastructure is, infrastructure of capacity is so fractured right now for CBP, it was 3,500. They're expecting 11,000 on Thursday per day. They can't handle it. That forces automatic catch and release. And that's the worst place you want to be when you're trying to secure a country. Wow. Wow. Well, Sheriff, uh, I appreciate you taking time to join us. I know you just pulled off the side of the road because you are busy. And uh, we're grateful for the work that you and your men do uh, and, and ladies do there on the border, as we are of all of our law enforcement across the country. Sheriff, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Be safe. Bye-bye. All right. Wow. In, in, did you hear him? The Biden administration is not doing anything. No financial support. And almost half of those that he's putting into his jail are the result of those coming across the border, which is about would reflect about half the calls that his deputies are taking. The, the folks in the community are paying for that in many ways. All right, when we come back, yesterday I met with former President Donald Trump. I'm going to tell you what that meeting was about and the outcome. Next, don't go away. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
hand to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right. I appreciate uh, Jody Heiss filling in for me yesterday. I uh, went to, uh, to, to Miami uh, to meet with former President Donald Trump. Now, let me, let me tell you the reason for this. After the Dobbs decision, we saw a number of Republicans begin to talk about how, well, this is now a state, a state issue, abortion is. In fact, um, quite frankly, I was shocked. We had, uh, you know, leaders like uh, Senator John Cornyn in the Senate. He's a member of the GOP leadership. And he said this. He said, I'm proud of the votes I cast, but I don't think it's appropriate for us now, after Roe has been overruled, to do this from Washington. And we're repeatedly seeing individuals say, well, this is a state's issue. Well, that's interesting because I never heard that before Roe was overturned. In fact, you can go all the way back to 1976 in the GOP platform, and the platform called for a human life amendment. In fact, it's only grown stronger over the years. In fact, since 19, uh, I think since 1984, at least sometime in the mid-80s, there has been a a stronger position on life calling for the unborn to have the fundamental individual right to life, that it cannot be infringed. There has been the endorsement of a human rights, a human life constitutional amendment, a call for judges to respect human life, and new laws to make clear that the fetus is a person under the 14th Amendment. That's been in the GOP platform. And, of course, uh, and we're going to talk in just a moment with Brent Kylan, vice president of FRC Action, about the number of votes that have been taken just in recent years, even by some of these same members. So we've been hearing some of this conversation from Uh, potential presidential candidates, and I'll I'll be very straightforward. I will meet with any presidential candidate to have a discussion about the issues and where they should be on these issues to connect with 
what we call sage cons, the spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, you. And, and so any of them. I, I, I've sat down with a couple of them already. This would be my third that I've talked to. And Donald Trump had been making some comments that suggested that he had, uh, was buying into this line of reasoning as well. And, and so uh, I went to meet with him, and I reminded him of a moment in the 2016 presidential campaign. It was the last presidential debate in the general election in Las Vegas. I was there, and this is what the president said, and I'm going to play this clip. Some of you will remember this, but this is what the president said in a debate with Hillary Clinton, clip 10. Well, I think it's terrible. Uh, if you go with what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day, and that's not acceptable. I remember sitting there, and that's not talking points that I've ever heard before. I've never heard another candidate or elected official speak so blatant about what was taking place. And I said, at that moment, I said, I, he, he's going to win this. He is going to secure the votes of pro-life voters. And he did. And what's more, more than that is he actually followed through. And his policies, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment, his policies were <clears throat> unprecedented when it came to advancing human life. And so I talked about that with him yesterday. And I said, look, that's the standard. It was there before Roe was overturned. Why should it change after Roe? And his position prior to Roe was that, look, when a baby feels pain and it is sucking its thumb in its mother's womb, that, that ought to be a place we can draw the line. We've got, you know, 67% of Americans agree that abortion across the board should be outlawed after that. Now, I'd like to see it at the moment of conception, but we're not there yet. But we can find consensus and build toward that. So that's the purpose of my meeting. I have not endorsed a presidential candidate. I will not be endorsing a presidential candidate in the primary. I will be sitting down talking with any and all of them that want to talk about the issues that matter, want to talk about the sanctity of human life, want to talk about human sexuality, want to talk about tax policy that impact the family, religious freedom, anything that touches the family, we're here to talk about and share the research with them regarding. Um, but that was the purpose of the meeting, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm pleased to say that the, the president understood that, the former president understood that, and, I, and he's going to be having a town hall meeting tomorrow night with CNN, and I expect him to, uh, to be very clear that his position on protecting the unborn children has not changed. So what's the way forward here? Why all of a sudden are these Republicans backing away from this issue? Well, join me now to talk about this is Brent Kylan. He's vice president of FRC Action here at the Family Research Council. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you again. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. And I've had this conversation with uh, several members of Congress who are now saying, well, this is a state's issue. It's, it's, it's a state's issue, but it's also a federal issue. The court 
said this is in the hands of elected officials, not judges. And so we have a long list of votes just in the last two Congresses that members, some of which are saying this is a state's issue, have voted. Talk about some of those laws that they've voted on. Tony, that's exactly right. And and we have to remember also that the science hasn't changed. And so the policies that the Republican Party has stood for over the last decades that were based and are based off of the science, those positions should not change either. Tony, in just the past five years alone, we've had 21 votes at the federal level on pro-life policy. Uh, the majority of those were, were votes explicitly to protect unborn children at some level in the pregnancy. Uh, some of them were to prohibit taxpayer funds from being used to subsidize uh, abortion. And then a few others were related to the pro-life cause in other ways. But you look at some of these specific measures, such as you know the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would just say that that a baby who survives a failed abortion is owed the same protections as any other infant that's born alive. Really, really basic. Um, they have not been able to get that past, uh, you know, Democrat-controlled majorities. So it has not become law yet. But that's one of the ones we've seen voted on multiple times. We're also looking at pain-capable, un, uh, pain-capable unborn child protection act, which uh, protects unborn children at the point at which they can feel pain in the womb. So Tony, these are these are just a few examples of votes that that said, and those who voted for these said, we do believe that the federal government does have a role to play in this. And there's no reason that needs to change. In uh, the, you mentioned the pain capable unborn child protection act, um, that bill would have provided a, a 20 week cutoff of course, the science has changed, and, and even the court decision brought that down to 15 weeks. But that was voted on uh, three years ago in the Senate, and, and there were 53 votes in favor of that. Uh, you know, most of the Republicans voted for it. So, you know, the question again is what, what's changed in this post-Roe world? What, what we're talking about, a, a federal law would not you know, would not usurp state laws that could be more conservative, like, you know, Florida just signed a six-week heartbeat bill. You've got other states. Ohio's got a heartbeat bill. Oklahoma's even stronger in its pro-life legislation. But this would just say uh, across the nation, the, the, the threshold or the floor here would be at least protecting a child when they feel pain and that baby feet sucks, you know, sucking, sucking its thumb in the womb. Now, it, short of that, if we don't do something like that, we're going to be in the same league as North Korea and and, uh, uh, and I think China when it comes to their abortion policy. Tony, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. We do not want to be in a camp of some of these uh, extreme nations. They have have uh, extreme human rights violations that should not be the United States of America. And uh, you mentioned it earlier, uh, not just at the federal level, the Republican Party platform itself, not just in terms of legislation, but the party platform has consistently stood for this. 
over the the past decades, I think it's only gotten stronger in terms of explicit support for pro-life measures. Tony, I'm also concerned to see what this could potentially do, you know, if we do go down this path and say it's it's completely a, a, a state's rights issue, what it could do to key voting blocks. You know, there are these groups of people that have been faithful supporters of the Republicans because of where they have stood on this issue. You know, sage cons that you mentioned are one of them. We know with polling that the life issue is always one of their top voting issues. It's either number two or number one. I'll be very candid, Brent. It makes it sound as if it's a political issue, that uh, they're concerned about the political fallout of this because the left was trying to define their their position. You know, the left in the last mid in the midterm election spent three hundred and fifty eight million dollars defining the Republicans as wanting to ban abortion. Republicans spent about thirty five million saying basically nothing. And what they should have been saying is, yeah, we want to protect unborn children at the point that they can feel pain. Where where will you draw the line? And and when they did that, they won uh, because it's the right thing to do. And so let's talk a little bit about that when you look at the polling where the American people are. I made reference to this earlier. I think the numbers are about 67% of Americans believe that when a child feels pain, can suck its thumb in the womb, that, that, that ought to be a, that's a place of consensus. About 67% of Americans say, yeah, we, we should not have abortion beyond that. That's right, Tony. And I think the ironic thing here is while some Republicans are pushing for this to go back to the states, that is not at all what the what the alternative is. That is not at all what the Democrats are pushing good, for. Good point. Very good point, because the Democrats are not saying this should be a state's issue. They want to make it a federal issue and they yes. want to impose abortion to the day of birth at taxpayer funding on every American. Tony, that's exactly right. And that position that you just shared, that is the standard position of the Democrat Party, that is only supported by about one in five Americans. So you have 80% of the country, according to recent polling, that that opposes abortion for any reason up until the moment of birth at taxpayer expense. And Tony, that doesn't even get into the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which we have not been able to get passed, which would afford those protections to a baby that survives right. a failed abortion. So so if you message on this well, the vast majority of Americans are are with you on this issue. Yeah, I mean, it's barbaric. And, and as I played that clip of the president before, I mean, he was very forthright in describing it, and it is barbaric. So I've, I've been a part of writing the, the GOP platform for probably the last four cycles, so probably going back 16 to almost 20 years. And I could have missed something, um, but I don't ever recall any footnote to the call for a human right, uh, a human life amendment or other provisions saying that uh, in the event that Roe was overturned, this becomes a state issue. I've never read that anywhere in the GOP platform. Tony, I have not either. And you look back at these party platforms, again, going back just a, a few years after Roe v. Wade, which was 1973, um, it, it took explicit 
uh, positions in favor of protecting the unborn. That has only expanded. If you look at the party platform today, it, it, it goes there. It also says it supports specific federal legislation on this. Some of the pieces yeah. that we mentioned, it opposes taxpayer funding. I could give you a really long list, Tony, but there's nowhere in there and never have I ever read either that that there's an asterisk ne- next to that this is ha- has been a moral issue it is the science hasn't changed so there's no reason for the for the republican party's position on this issue to change uh it it it's it's baffling to me but this one thing i can assure uh, our listeners our partners across the country we haven't changed we will continue to advocate for pro-life measures at the state level I authored a number of them when I was in the state legislature in Louisiana. We've been advocating at the federal level. I have for 20 years. That will continue. Nothing is going to change. Uh, That will be the benchmark uh, by how we evaluate conservative uh, Bible-based candidates for office. Uh, Brent, we're out of time. Always great to to chat with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining me today. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about this in the days ahead. Good to be with you, Tony. Appreciate it. All right, Brent Kylan with FRC Action. To find out more about FRC Action, go to frcaction.org. Lots of resources there for you uh, as it pertains to elections, voting, and we have scorecards. In fact, you can actually see all of these pro-life votes that members of Congress uh, cast, as he made reference to. All right, uh, again, uh, the purpose of the meeting was simply to encourage the president to stay strong on the issue of the sanctity of human life. And, and I, I can report that the former president, Donald Trump, has not changed his position. Uh, there was some mischaracterizations of some things that uh, he had said. Um, going forward, I think he's going to be very clear on this. That's my hope. That's uh, what I believe to be the case. And we will not back up from this issue one bit. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. Lord willing, we're going to be back again tomorrow, and I hope that you will as well. And bring a friend and join us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.